0: On Today's success story Todd Charnetsky and 11 years of hamstring tendinopathy. Welcome to the podcast helping you overcome your proximal hamstring tendinopathy. This podcast is designed to help you understand this condition, learn the most effective evidence based treatments, and of course, bust the widespread misconceptions. My name is Brodie Sharp, I'm an online physiotherapist, recreational athlete creator of the Run Smarter series, and a chronic proximal hamstring tendinopathy bachelor. Whether you are an athlete or not, this podcast will educate and empower you in taking the right steps to overcome this horrible condition. So let's give you the right knowledge along with practical takeaways in today's lesson. It has been a while since we've done a success story, so I thought we might chuck another one in here. (laughs) Um, This is a recording from the Run Smarter podcast when I decided to do some success stories. And when I I was doing them, not all of them were PHT related. I had some plantar fasciitis and other tendinopathies. Um, But this is a really, really good one. I'm excited to give you Todd's story, um, overcoming proximal hamstring tendinopathy after 11 years and Yeah, I talk about it. I'll throw in the intro from the Run Smarter podcast episode, so I won't talk too much, but I'm glad that I can deliver you another podcast episode with um, some positive vibes and some success. So let's take it away. I talk to a lot of runners on social media, and a lot of them, particularly those who have suffered from like a chronic issue, uh, they do jump onto Facebook groups. They do find... A lot of doom and gloom posts, and it's really discouraging. And I thought, what a better way to use this podcast to turn that attitude around and focus on more of the positive benefits. If you have a, a group of, you know, thousands of people who are constantly looking for the answers of their injuries, they're constantly posting on, um, or trying to find the answers, and <clears throat> that's what people are going to be attracted to because they're looking for comments and they're looking for trying to find the answers. As soon as you go to that Facebook group and scroll through the posts, you're going to find a lot of people who have had injuries for five years, 10 years, 15 years, and are, in most cases, like are unable to run or have lost a considerable amount of function, um, maybe impeding on their daily life as well, along with a lot of the psychological emotional frustrations and anxiety and um, common patterns that you do see with chronic injuries and chronic pain. And you can easily read through a lot of these posts and manifest a lot of worry in yourself and your own injury. And so I've gone out in search of a fair few runners who have had injuries for quite a considerable amount of time. And let's start delving into some success stories. Todd has had proximal hamstring tendinopathy on both sides since 2007 and he has managed to overcome it all the way in 2018 so he spent 11 years trying to find answers, trying different things and not really making a lot of ground I don't want to tell you too much right now because the interview is pretty much going through his whole story all I will say is that it doesn't take 11 years to overcome proximal hamstring tendinopathy it takes um less than a year several months once you find the right solution once you start executing on the right solution in todd's case anyway so um yeah let's keep these encouraging positive vibes going and kick off our first success story
1: hey brody um great to be here um my name is todd Charnetski. um i'm from green bay wisconsin and um pretty active guy um you know, been active in sports all my life, um, weightlifting, and then got even more into running as I've gotten older. I was, you know, my background really starts in exercise physiology, the fitness industry. I've been in that for for many, many years, which kind of goes hand in hand with being active. So, um, more recently, I've been in the orthopedic world, you know, working with physicians, uh, rehab, recovery, and so I'm kind of in tune with 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 the body and and Working out, and but sometimes you're so into your uh your sport, so to speak, running in this case, and and even though you have a background in exercise and recovery, sometimes you don't uh, listen to uh your brain, and and injuries come on. So, most of us as athletes or runners have encountered a lot of different types of uh injuries. And, and you know, for me, you know, I've had many, but, you know, the biggest one really relates to our conversation today is, is you know, I encountered a lot of proximal hamstring issues uh, back in uh, 2007 uh, training for a, a half marathon. And, um, you know, just one of those things that we all encounter as runners and any, any runner who's listening knows that you have an ache or pain, you try to run through it and think it's nothing, it's going to go away. And, and in my particular case, I was, you know, following a plan, and I wanted to stick to it. And I felt the, the typical hamstring soreness was going to go away, or I could work through it. And and it really got to the point where um, I pushed too hard, and it really became a an issue. And <laughs> not only in that moment, but many years later. So
0: yeah, and you did do a very good job of sending me uh, an email based on like the the history of this, and it is quite a long history, like you said, since 2007. Um, so we're looking at like around 13 years or maybe 12, 13 years. Yeah. And you said that you were training for a half marathon. And at that time, would you would you think that like looking back on now, it was too big of a jump or at that moment, did you think maybe I'm pushing it a bit, but let's just see how I go? Yeah, well,
1: back at that time, and I've done 26 half marathons. So that was probably my 13th, 14th one. So it wasn't a a new thing for me. You know, I have been running at that point since I've been running since 1985 consistently. So there I am in over 20 years. So you think I would have figured out how to train, (laughs) which, you know, I've done well. And and it was just that particular year. I was feeling good. My body weight was good. Um, I, I wanted to just run my best time. Um, so I just kind of refocus was a little more structured, added a few more miles, um, added, you know, more specific workouts geared to our performing well. Um, and um, so I, I felt like I was doing all the right things other than I'd certainly noticed I had more soreness and just wanted to stay on the plan. And that okay. was the mistake.
0: And so you ran the half and you said in your email that it was like during or after the half, you start to notice hamstring issues on both sides. And yeah. when, when did that actually come on? Was it during the race? Was it afterwards?
1: Well, actually, it was in training. Um, you notice the starness, And then it, it got to the point where I was probably two weeks, two to three weeks before the half. And it was just like, holy cow, I'm just not recovering from any type of run or workout. This is just, it hurts to sit. It hurts to walk. Um, so really two weeks before I'm just like, you know what, I think I just have to back off here if I want to do this race. So really the two weeks before I, I may have ran maybe once or twice just saying, you know what, I'm going to try to get this to calm down and, and let's do the race. Um, and I did the race. I did phenomenal. I PR It's still my PR, um, had a great performance, you know, during the race, it was, you know, very, very sore, the hammies, but. Even when I'm feeling healthy, you know you're sore during a typical race. So, but after the race, it was kind of like, all right. The day after, the, the the days after, it was like, all right, I'm, this is just not a good situation where there's a lot of burning going on. There's a lot of pain to sit. Uh, it hurts to walk. Um, and then you know, typically I have a lot of soreness for a few days after. But now it's seven days after, and it's like, this is just it's there. It, it's still burning. It's still hurting. And then I said, you know what? this is more than just typical soreness. Um, I need to go see somebody. So, and that's kind of what I did. I set an appointment up. Um, since I worked with sports docs and orthopedics, um, I knew exactly who I wanted to see. So I got in really within a couple of days. Um, he was he worked in an orthopedic clinic with a sports medicine emphasis. So uh, I met with him and um, first thing he did was x-rays. Just wanted to make sure there's no issues with the bone, stress fractures, if he, anything jumps out. Um, from a skeletal standpoint and um, he uh, did x-rays everything looked great there did an examination he, he loaded the tendon and obviously with certain loading exercises through stretching you know, um, obviously those things irritated it um, so he basically gave me the, de- the diagnosis of you just have a, a chronic uh hamstring, tendinitis, and bursitis, you know, you know, the burning pains and stuff, he kind of thought there might have been more than one thing going on, just because you're in a state of just an acute um, inflammatory state where you're just getting all this burning and pain and soreness. So his first recommendation was, hey, let's try to calm this down. Um, We're going to put you on uh, prescription naproxen. Um, Let's take that for a full month, um, you know, morning and night take it. And, um, we're also going to send you to therapy and then we'll have you come back in a month. Let's see how you're doing. So I kind of followed that plan. Um, I asked him, you know, should I not run? Should I continue to run? He goes, well, he goes, I really don't have a problem with you running. Um, but just be careful, take it easy. So I, I continued to run. I think obviously after the, the half, I gave myself a week or two off and then got on the NSAIDs and went to therapy where they did um it was really more treatment of symptoms than actually um doing any type of strengthening stretching it was more like hey we're gonna get you down and do some ice massages do some iontophoresis and let's try to get that area to calm down so that was more of the therapy sessions versus you know treating the injury it was more treating the symptoms um so then after one month, I went back. And during that month, it was like, obviously, I'm taking meds, you know, after my antipharesis and ice massage, it'd be like, I'd bend over. I'm like, ah, this feels good. <laughs> it's just it kind of numbed it down. And, but when that would wear off, um, you know, there'd still be soreness there. So really, after a month, I'm thinking, hey, I've been on a month of NSAIDs. I think I'm better, but you know, it's still kind of sore. Go in, talk to the doc. Um, and I did this on purpose. I, I, before I saw him, I stopped taking it for at least three days. And sure enough, it just kind of you know, wasn't to the extent it was a month ago, but it, it was like, okay, here, it's, it's still pretty darn sore, very sore when I run, um, just doesn't feel good and hurts to sit. Um, so I went back to the doc and he goes, all right, I think the next step is to do some cortisone injections. So that's what we did. We did bilateral um, cortisone in each, each uh, upper hammy. And um, that really, really helped. Um, that took me to the point where my probably knocked off 75% of my discomfort and pain. Um, so I was thinking, Hey, well, I'm healed. This is it. <laughs> <laughs> this is awesome. Uh, you know, a couple of weeks after I'm like, okay, I'm feeling much better. know not pain-free by no means but I'm thinking hey I'm on top of this we uh you know I'm still running through all this very conscious I'm not doing anything hard I'm just out there you know jogging and I really got to a point where um over the upcoming months it was like you know what I have some soreness there but I'm way way better than I was back when I was training and after and and, so continue to run and then the next spring um started gearing up for the half again and uh, kind of not to the extent but because I increased my training it kind of flared up once again. I was like Oh, geez, here we go And I remember a long car trip a long road trip I went to a football game and from Wisconsin I went to Iowa uh, for a Badger Wisconsin Badger Iowa Hawkeye game and that six hour car ride was just like oh God, it's just killing me sitting in the seat." and here we go again, and same <laughs> thing. Did the half, got through it, and I went to school. My, my family practice Doc. I went and got a physical, and I was telling him about my hammies. He's like, ah, I'll inject it. Yeah, you need some more cortisone? I'll inject it. I'm like, just like that? He's like, yeah. So I'm like, okay. <laughs> so he <laughs> injected both hammies again, and I'm like, is this a good idea? I don't know. I, I know enough that you can't keep injecting cortisone in that area. But I let him do it. Same thing um, got better. And and then after that, it it was never to quite the extent, but it was just always, I think it just started in this process of going from a tendonitis condition and me continuing to run, not doing all the right things, continuing to do races and training and where it just became this, you know what, this, my body's trying to heal. It's trying to scar over, but you're probably not doing the right things. um, You know, can I jump in the
0: right. there? There's a few things yeah. that I want to to jump into. Yeah. One being like with your your first, well, the half marathon, the first one you described, where you um, sort of just pushed through. You had a couple of weeks off, and then decided to get through and PR your your half marathon. Goes to show that if someone is having a tendon issue the amazing thing that the body can do once the tendons have warmed up, you can still perform at quite a high level, but you just pay for it for like several days, weeks afterwards. And I think that's a good lesson for people to interpret these sort of things. And it's like a lot of people interpret, Oh, it must be okay to still be able to run because once you've warmed up, like sometimes the pain diminishes significantly almost to a pain-free state. And you can almost interpret that like, Oh, running must be okay. But you just, Suffering several days after, so that's a really nice lesson. And the other thing being with your therapy, like the initial therapy, you're saying a lot of the attempts were along like symptom relief and what we call manual therapy. It's like the massage, it's the icing, it's the calming down symptoms, which makes you feel better, and you're like, oh, it must be working. But Mm -hmm. like you said, it's quite short term. And then if you have a like a wider scope over the course of a month, you're being like, you know what, not really improving. Like I'm feeling good day by day after the treatments, but on a wider scope of things, there really isn't a significant benefit. But what you're saying is that a lot of it was focused on the manual therapy and not necessarily on strength and conditioning. Right. Yeah. And so when you're going through, I think the, um, the NSAIDs, like you described is just like the non-steroidal anti-inflammation medication for those who aren't familiar you took that for a month as well. And I guess that could be masking a lot of symptoms, a lot of like um, provocating symptoms. And I guess, I think there's, there's a lot of research to show that long-term not uh, NSAIDs aren't very good for tendon conditions anyway. um, And it possibly could be masking a lot of the stuff and, disrupting, like interpreting symptoms of what's getting better and what isn't. Um, so not off to a great start, but throughout the first couple of months, were you doing any sort of strength work for the specifically for the hamstring tendon?
1: Yeah. You know, because I've always been big into, I mean, back when I was in the fitness industry, I was big into weights and heavy lunges and squats and, and all the things that you know, are good for keeping areas strong But as I got more into running, you know, I kind of tailored some of that back because you just don't need to have (laughs) that type of muscle mass when you're running. But I I still did, you know, I still was was doing lunges. But after I started having the pain, as anybody who's aware, it's kind of not very good to do a lunge because that's really aggravates the condition that that stretch under loading. Um, So really not because I didn't want to do it. I really could not do lunges. So I was you know, limited of what I could do. I tried to do some machine weights, you know, the light curls and, and I could do some half squats and, and, but because of so much pain, you found that any type of strength exercise that you do is just an irritant. And so I got away from a lot of stuff. I would try to do some standing stuff, um, you know, using bands, just trying to, you know, knowing, you know, exercise physiology is like, Hey, I still want to work out these muscles, but but it just seems like whatever I would try to do is just create like a little flare-up like you know I'm used to normal soreness but you start to load it a little bit too much and it'd be like oh you know way more than I wanted so I I found myself doing you know really isn't my philosophy now but I started doing more machines where you're laying down and doing some half leg presses and and more adduction abduction things that just, just trying to work something without irritating it but um there was a lot of irritation, but during that time I I was, you know, doing, you know, flexibility stuff thinking, Hey, this is a good thing to do to keep stretching. And I was sitting on ice bags, which again, my philosophy now versus then has totally changed, but um, it just, it would allow me just to kind of have status quo over the years where, Hey, I can still run. I still have soreness. I can still go do some races. And it's just, just hurts. So I'm always managing it. I'm always trying to heat it up before i go do an activity. I'd always ice it after. And it's just became this cycle of just trying to manage the condition.
0: Yeah. And based on your email, it sounds like you were sitting on your, the ice, the ice packs quite a lot.
1: Yeah. I have these little things I'd keep in the freezer, these little packs um, where I would put a paper, I'd sit down with a, a little tissue or paper towel underneath and just had two of them, one on each cheek and, and it would sit on it until um, it would get warm. Then I'd go grab the other one and <laughs> sit on that. And it'd be this cycle. And especially I would do it after activity, um, sometimes in between if I had a lot of burning pain or soreness. Um, so, yeah, it was just kind of a cycle of um, I just wasn't a happy camper. You get to the point where you know, I probably bought, purchased every cushion, wonder cushion pad that, you know, for office chairs, for the car, for everywhere I'd sit, I'd have pads and cushions all over the place, because anybody with this condition knows that it hurts like heck to sit. And, um, so it got to the point where, you know, you try to avoid sitting, but how do you do that in life when in my job, I'm on the road in the car. So it makes it very difficult. And you know, these type of, those type of conditions aren't good for your specific injury. So, you just try to have a, the right type of cushion. Uh, you try to manage it, and but it becomes a challenge. And uh, all through this time too, I'm continuing to run, um, and then that ultimately led to you know the next course of action where I decided to get further treatment with PRP.
0: Yeah. So let's. I think it's it's very tough to go through the the storyline over the course of like you know 13 years, yeah. and I guess yeah. Talking about your experiences with still running, still running with pain, icing constantly, trying to manage sitting as best you can. I guess that's over the course of several years. And what you're talking about yeah. with the PRP, that was in 2014. You you consulted yeah. uh, um, you, the the orthopedic doctor suggested get scans, get the um ultrasound to show what the condition of the, the tendons are like yeah. and then suggested PRP and a um, tenotomy. Is that correct?
1: Yeah. Percutaneous tonotomy, which is just really when they're going in, they're just taking a needle and just poking the heck out of the area to try to create a bleeding effect, um, which ultimately leads to an inflammatory response or a healing response is the goal um, and sometimes percutaneous tenotomy, I actually had that done a year previous with one of my other doctors I work with where he just said, hey, let me just poke around there a little bit and see if that helps. It was kind of a, uh, a doctor friend who was a sports doc as well. And um, said, so let's just poke a little bit. So you know, it, it created a lot of soreness for a week or so, but ultimately did not make it better. Um, you know, I, I kind of evaluated three months after and I'm like, eh, I'm not any better than I was previous. So, um, but, um, so yeah, I decided to, um, you know, again, I work with sports docs, orthopedic docs. Um, there was this one doc that I respected very highly. Um, you know, I don't know if, you know, know if you're familiar with the Tenex procedure in Australia, but in the U S it's basically a procedure where you, you go in and kind of suck out the disease tissue. And uh, so she was one of the first people in, in my state to do that trained on it. And she's also one of the more highly guarded she's trained in musculoskeletal ultrasound so I figured hey if I'm going to have a procedure I want someone who um, is one of the best in really the state at this point and not only injecting PRP but using musculoskeletal ultrasound to guide the the injections into the tendon so they're getting in the right spot so so I felt really confident in choosing her and again she was a sports medicine physician and she um analyzed my tendons under musculoskeletal ultrasound, which she was again, a very uh, strong specialist in that area. So she analyzed my left and my right side, my left side, she could, she was showing me on the screen that, yeah, you clearly have a classic state of tendinosis. And she's saying here, look at here, you can see the irregularities in the tendon and uh, you know, it doesn't look great. I've seen worse, doesn't look great. Then she went to the right side and it was just like, holy cow, this is, she goes, this is a complete mess. You know, you have micro tears. I mean, this is the severest form of tendinopathy that anybody could have without it being torn. Um, so we went through the procedure. She was, I recommend, you know, tenotomy and injecting the the platelets, PRP in both sides, but she took blood out of the arm and did the centrifuge and the whole process. Um, But because of the severity on the the right side, she actually took about 80% of the blood and put it on that side and just kind of squirted the left side because the left side is classic, moderate, um, but the right side just needs a lot of help. So she just spent a lot of extra time on that right side, doing a lot of poking and, and injecting the blood and platelets more on that side and um so yeah so it was a you know successful procedure at the time she felt good about it the um after we were done you know the classic question is hey can I continue to run you know, and <laughs> it's like <laughs> you know i should be focused on healing up and resting but it's like a typical runner when can you get back to to doing what you love and she didn't have any major major restrictions other than say i wouldn't run for at least a week um you know let that area calm down and so I said, "Well, I'm gonna do the smart thing, and I'm gonna wait two or three weeks. I think it was maybe three. I think it might have been two, or I didn't run. Um, but yeah, after the procedure, as expected, it 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 hurt. I mean, they're going in and creating a lot of damage in the tendon, and it just felt like, actually, kind of felt like it did pre- years previous when you sit down, and you got that burning and that real strong acute pain. Um, but the positive is days, three, four, five days later it starts to bounce back and then so then I I was basically in a state of recovery and I asked her what um what would I expect and she goes well you know it's kind of hard to predict you think you're going to get the maximum benefits within a three to six month window um so I kind of went with that and I would say you know around that time I decided to do and 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 I had been doing a little bit more strength training at this point, back doing some squats, not a lot of heavy lifting, uh, still really wasn't able to do lunges, but was doing squats and some leg presses and, and some things that would cause some irritation, but I always would feel like I could bounce back from it um, and doing some light curls. Um, I tried to gear my routine a little bit differently after the PRP where I tried to say, you know what, I'm going to take a three or four month period of time where I'm going to Rather than do my strength work one to two times a week, I'm going to try to do something every other day, but something a little bit different that's targeting, you know, the glutes and the hamstrings. Um, so I, I kind of did a routine where I was, you know, doing a lot of bridge stuff, bridging, and um, I would do a um, little bit more negative work, like on a leg curl machine. I'd go up with two and down with one, very slowly, um, trying to load the area. With eccentric exercise, because you, you hear with tendon repair that the more eccentric stuff you do, you know, that's good. So I was conscious of that. Um, so I was doing that three days a week, but just always something a little bit different. And and I, I would find that I, I had you know a decent amount of soreness through those three months. So it was really hard to you know figure out hey, is the PRP working? Because I'm really trying to get in and do the strength work in addition and run. So it's like, boy, am I, is, are all these things creating more irritation? But at the same time, I'm thinking, well, some soreness is good as long as you bounce back from it. So I would say at the end of three months, I, I would probably say I noticed maybe 10% benefit. Almost in a way, I was a little disappointed. But then I'm thinking I'm also doing a little bit extra other stuff. So then the next three months, I decide to back off to the strength work just once a week um, do a lot of the same exercise, just maybe do a little bit more of that one day a week. And, um, and then I noticed another, probably another 10 to 20% benefit over the next three months where, okay, I backed off some of the strength work and irritation. I feel like I'm, you know, making some progress, another 10 to 20%. Then at six months I asked her, I said, Hey, is this as good as it's going to get? And she's like, based on my experience, probably at six months it is. So, I kind of said, well, all right, I guess I'm better, but you know, I'm not hundred percent happy. But then over the next six months, I think I had another bump of probably another 10 to 20% benefit. And I told her that she goes, well, that's a little unusual, but we'll take it. So I'd say one year post procedure, I was probably 50% better than I was going into it. And so that's late 2015 and I'm thinking, all right, This is what what I have. Um, I guess I'm going to live with it. I'm better. Uh, I can at least function a little bit better. I seem to bounce back from strength workouts, runs a little bit quicker. Still have soreness, still soreness to sit. But, you know, I, I can live with what I have compared to what I had previous. You know, I can still sit down. But by this point, after many years of using pads, I'm still using the pads. I, you just find that you stand more than you sit anywhere. If you ever go, <laughs> go anywhere, mm-hmm. you're standing, or everybody else is sitting and, and you're standing. It's just the habit you, you you get into. But so, yeah, so I got better, but I was not cured.
0: Yeah. But can I, I maybe chime like- in with a few things. Um, I am very conscious of the impact that language can have when a therapist is communicating to, to someone and when you got those scans and the doctor was saying, you know, the the tendon on the right side is just a mess. It is like completely um, gone or whatever the language they use. What thoughts were going through your head when they were explaining exactly what the condition was like and the severity was like?
1: Yeah. Well, I think when she looked at the left side, she was just kind of like, "Ah, eh, that's typical of what we see. I felt good when, when she was looking at the right and she was showing me all these weird irregularities, which she called the micro tears. And I didn't know the significance of, you know, obviously my tendons are still attached to the bone, which, you know, a lot of people, you know, that you've encountered and I've encountered, or especially as we follow the, the various sites through the internet where some people have detached tendons. And, and so I, at least I know, Hey, it's, they're still attached. But what crossed my mind was, you know, what's the risk of this completely blowing? You know, and I Mm -hmm. asked her that. I said, what, I mean, what does this look like? She goes, well, you, I mean, she goes, you do have risk of if you keep wearing and tearing and grinding on this, where this will just pull away and detach. So, so she did point that out to me, which you know, obviously it scares you because you don't, you know, you realize that (laughs) that's supposed to be attached to the bone and not (laughs) detached. So. Um, so I was a little concerned, which made me more fired up due to the procedure. And ultimately, I mean, I wanted to heal. Um, but yeah, it just, you don't like to look at your anatomy and see an in a regularity that, you know, just completely doesn't look right.
0: You know, it yeah. kind of freaks and it out. the other question I want to delve into was you mentioned like during the recovery of the PRP, you started doing a bit more strength work. Was that under the advice of the doctor or you just decided to do that yourself?
1: Um, you know, she didn't really give me any guidance on that. Um, and she also knew that my background is, you know, exercise physiology and training. And, and so she kind of trusted what I was going to do. I kind of throw out to her. I said, Hey, this is kind of what I'm looking at. Obviously I'm not going back to heavy lunges, heavy squats. Um, are you okay with me doing this? And she was just kind of like, yeah, use your judgment. If something hurts too much, don't do it. Um, see how you respond to the loading, um, uh, so she kind of really just trusted me, um, based on my background.
0: Yeah, great. And I think so, it, it fits the the pattern that I understand around loading a tendon in the gym. And you were sort of saying, yeah, some exercises were hurting, but I was bouncing back quite quickly. And the, the guidance that I like to give a lot of my runners with a chronic tendon issue is pain during the exercise is okay. If it's under oh, it's around like a four out of 10 and below like those loading is actually healthy for the tendon, but we need to make sure there's not a exacerbation of symptoms afterwards. The next day, that's a clear indication that you've overloaded it. Uh, you did mention that you dropped from three times a week to doing once a week. And you said, but during that once a week, it was more, would you say that was heavier or would you say it was more reps? Would you say that more exercises?
1: I would say, you know, Previously, when I was doing it three times a week, I would try to do sets of exercises that were different each day. So when I switched back to once a day, I was probably doing more of all of those exercises on that one day. Um, You know, I wouldn't say I was doing all the volume of those three days previous, but um, I would, instead of doing, let's say, two or three exercises, different ones, three days a week, I would choose maybe three or four to do on that one day a week. Um, And then the next week, if there was something I didn't do the previous, I would, I would mix that in. Um, I kind of felt like as I wanted to continue to run, I just, I felt better with just the one day a week strength training. Like I didn't feel like I was sore all week. Um, so that seemed to work okay for me.
0: And those three, four exercises were those, the squats, the leg presses, those eccentric leg curls, were there any others?
1: Yeah, I, I was doing, um, I was doing different types of things. Um, I was doing some bridging, different types of bridging on the floor. I'd have my foot on a, uh, sometimes on a, you know, two legged or one legged on a foam roller just to add a little more balance and stability. I was doing the leg curls um, uh, kind of with the eccentric going up with two, down with one. Um, I, was, I would do squats just with either dumbbells in my arms or um, without any weight. We have a, another device at the gym I'm at where it's a type of squat press where you put your shoulders under some pads and, and, and lift up. Um, so, yeah, I was doing kind of a combination of those things. Um, and I, I deviated from that later on. I, I had a little different approach. But those are some of the things I was doing that I thought were reasonable and the right thing to do.
0: Yeah. And listening to your story as well and talking about the strength training, it's encouraging for me to hear because I like to, I'm very strength and conditioning focused when it comes to a tendon, as long as you're able to tolerate it and listening to your story years and years of like short-term fixes and procedures and um, cortisone injections. It hasn't really been until, like you say, after this PRP that you're really specific in the gym and within the email that you sent previously, you're saying that um, there was one specific year where you felt almost 50% better with doing continuing to run but also upping a little bit more resistance work or tweaking that resistance schedule, I guess, a little bit more. Um, around that period of time, was it any different from what you just described?
1: Um. Yeah, you know, th- then there was a couple-year period where I... Um... I was like, Hey, I am better. You know, I'm not, I, I love to be pain-free and doing great, but I, I'm better. And and I actually started to ramp back up, um, in 2000. Um, so, so PRP was end of 2014, end of 2015. So the spring of 2016, um, at age 50, or I was going to be 50, um, I was going to try to break 20 minutes again in a 5k. And I hadn't done that. And, probably since 2007, 2008. And now it's 2016. So I'm just going to make a run on it. So again, kind of getting back into some more structured workouts. And I wasn't doing heavy miles, but I would be a little more consistent and doing more stuff and, you know, dropped a few pounds and kind of got refocused. So yeah, like uh, a week after my birthday, I ran a 1947 5k. And I was pumped. I was like, Hey, I'm back. You know, I'm feeling, you know, still soreness, but I'm kind of thinking, hey, I can live with this um, and function and be okay at age 50. I'm still running in the 19s and I'll take that. Um, um, so yeah, so I, I was okay with that. And and through, yeah, the next couple of years, I still continued to race, perform well. I never broke 20 again, but um, <laughs> um, did well. But still, again, still it was a day-to-day thing. It's always on your mind. I uh, you still have soreness. Um, but I, I, at that point, I was kind of thinking, This is just, if I'm going to continue to run and this is going to be the part of my lifestyle forever, it's just something I'm going to have to deal with and I can manage it the way it is right now. And so that was my mindset going forward. um,
0: At that time as well, what was your, what was your running schedule? Like, what was your strength sessions? Like, were you still icing? Were you still doing any of those, like, I guess, pain monitoring, yeah. alleviating symptoms, that sort of thing.
1: I was continuing to ice. Um, I iced all the way into 2018. So I would, anytime I do a race or a run, or I would go home and sit on the ice bag, it just became routine. Um, whether it was good or not, now I kind of believe it wasn't good, but I continued to, to do that just because it's just what you do. It's, you know, the ice, it's going to make you feel better. It's supposedly supposed to help you recover. Um, so I did that. Um Over the next period of years, my strength training was still consistent. I generally would do just once a week of strength work. Typically, I would do that after a run because running was loading. and would cause some soreness. I figured I'm going to do it on a day when I was loading it anyway, knowing the next day I'd have off from from running. Um, So I kind of kept that plan up, um, which is similar to what I continue to do. But yeah, so yeah, that was still my routine um, up into yeah, like we've discussed into 2018, um, you know, had a little shift of some things that, that I had done that kind of took me to the next level.
0: Yeah, let's, let's dive into that because you did mention 2018, you really turned a corner. Um, let's, let's dive into it. What, what happened?
1: Yeah, so um, it's interesting as, you know, I had a career for 14 years in the orthopedic world um, working with orthopedic docs. And then I made a, a change. Um, I went to work for another company called H-Wave. Um, it was, well, I, I didn't actually take the job. I interviewed for it, um, because they had this device that was huge, not only in treating pain, but also was, um, awesome for recovery. It's in the sports world, NFL, major league teams, basketball all have the device for recovery tool. So that intrigued me because that's just my background a passion around recovery so um, I met with some of the company representatives and and again I was reluctant to make a career change after 14 years but they said hey you know go home take this device and just play around with it you know they'd asked me if I had any aches and pains I mean I feel pretty good other than these darn hamstrings which have been bothering me for years Um, and then interviewing with them they're talking about you know well we have as a company, you know, we're into recovery, waking up lymphatics, we're, we're kind of anti-ice. And they delved into that a little bit more and elaborated and kind of a light switched on like, that makes total sense to, to I shouldn't be icing disease tendons. Um, even back to the scan, when the, phys- the, the doctor scanned my hamstrings, she goes, you don't have any, really any inflammation here. Um, it's just diseased tendons. And I'm just like, well, why am I icing if I don't have any inflammation? So it's just like a light switch turned on. So at that point, um, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to stop icing my, my hamstrings. So I got this device, which is really just a, uh, it's an electrical stimulator that uh, creates muscle contractions. Um, it does it in a non-fatiguing way where you can get your hamstrings pumping, your your quads pumping. So I started doing that every day for two hours. I stopped icing. Um And it was weird that within a two week period of time, as I'm continuing to research um, this company, that again, I thought I was kind of imagining things where I just felt like, I just feel like my hamstrings feel better after two weeks. Maybe it's just an imagination. Maybe it's a two week phase. Um, Is it the device? Is it, did I stop icing? And I'm looking back, did my running schedule change in the last two weeks? Um, So something was was changing. and then I went another two weeks and I noticed another little bump in improvement. And then I ultimately felt like the device was helping the lack of ice,
0: the,
1: the the message of the company around both of that, how you treat conditions through loading without necessarily fatiguing, stop icing, let's work on treating the cause of the issue. Let's wake up lymphatics. Let's create flushing. Let's increase, increase more circulation. Um, so I just liked the message of the company and I took that position and proceeded to follow my plan. Um, I did alter one thing. I added one strength exercise, which was kind of weird. And again, whether it, this added to it, in addition to stopping icing using the device or just having even just the overall better attitude about things, um, it was a standing, um, uh, leg, ex, uh, uh, hip extension exercise where throughout this process, I saw whatever you, obviously you do enough searching on <laughs> the internet and Twitter and where, this one this one exercise where you do a standing cable with resistance where you go straight back squeeze your butt oh no i would it was you go straight back a hip extension with your toe out so you get a a really heavy duty butt contraction but then the negative come forward straighten your your toe out and just slowly come back like a, a negative with a slightly different foot position and And that just, when I started doing that exercise, I was like, man, I, I, number one, I really feel my, my, my glutes firing and, and tightening up. And then on the way back, I really felt like that resistance exercise going back with a slightly different toe position loaded that tendon in a way that I noticed the day after. And I did, I felt like it didn't irritate it. So it was kind of a, um, a revelation of an exercise that I thought for me was making impact, um, combined with everything else that I was doing. You know, three months later, I was like, I, my hamstrings are significantly better at this point. And I can't necessarily tie it into one exact thing. It is probably a combination of stopping icing, using this device on a daily basis, recovering better. And I think that's a part of it too, because the device actually helps you recover better from workout to workout. So I was getting less soreness, or I was responding from the loading I would do in my runs and my strength workout much quicker. And it's almost like I created a better environment within my body to catch up in a way where I could heal while I'm loading and and progress. And um, at least that's my looking back on it. I feel like that's what happened
0: was the H wave device itself. Was it producing any warmth? Was it producing any sensation or was it just like a um, invisible wave kind of reaction?
1: Yeah, it's you put electrodes on your muscles and it basically tells them to contract. So you're getting two contractions per second. So you're loading tissue and so you're loading the the hamstring tendon. But the neat thing is because of the waveform, It's not creating a fatiguing effect. So I could I've used it four hours at a time and you're done with it and everything just feels loose and great. (laughs) So that's why it's a good tool as well from a recovery standpoint. If you're having hamstring surgery or if you're immobilized, you know it, it allows an active recovery um while you're not loading as far as walking or or creating a different type of heavier load. So as far as warmth, uh, just to general increased circulation, mm. you could say, well, does, does circulation increase warmth? You could say, well, sure. But I, I forgot to add one other thing I, I started doing a little bit more, too. And it's like, you know, I'm kind of throwing everything at the kitchen sink, everything, everything at the tendons. I purchased a far infrared heating pad as well. So I started using more heat now instead of ice between... Um, between workouts, um, I was really diligent about before I would run to sit on this infrared heating pad to heat up the area so that, you know, if, if you go out and run on cold tissue, you could maybe create more micro tears or, or more issues. So I really was focused on really, really warming up tissue, not only before my activity, but you know what? Blood flow. We want more circulation. We want more blood flow going to the tendons. And I figured the fire infrared heat Which is, you know, has good deep penetration versus a typical heating pad. I thought that was a great modality to add. So I contribute some success using that modality as well. And again, that whole package of those changes took me to the point where my left side, really, probably at six months, uh, probably into mid 2019, I my left side was 100 percent, and I'd say my right side, you know, because of the severity you know, I'd say 95% healed. And I'm right right now, that's where I'm at right now as
0: well. Fantastic. I think, yeah, there's a few, I want to delve back into a few things that you did mention. Um, It's unreal that after 10 plus years of this condition, you can bounce back to that level of success. It's awesome to hear when you're talking about the icing. And now that you believe it's probably not the right move. um, I can based on my understanding as well, when the the term tendinitis isn't really well regarded anymore. It used to be very, very common, but now they've changed that terminology to a tendinopathy because that itis part signifies inflammation is the primary component, but now they know with a inflamed, whatever you call it, a tendon, there's no inflammation present. Uh, well, it's not the primary driver. It, there might be a little bit, if it's a really reaction-based if it's been like a couple of days or a week or so of a really overloaded tendon there might be some inflammation but generally speaking it's not the primary driver so they've changed that that terminology from tendonitis to tendinopathy and then that goes to show years and years of this and using ice if there's no inflammation then the ice probably isn't doing anything and if anything it's probably the opposite because what we know with the body the body heals where the blood blood flows and there can be a certain Parts of the body say with fractures like bone fractures, if there's a reduced blood flow to that area, it takes a longer time to heal than a fracture of the same severity that's in an, a part of the body part that has a lot of blood flow. It recovers a lot quicker. Yep. And so People who've worked with me, runners who've worked with me know that I am very regimented with how I um, approach a rehab. And I like to change one component at a time just to see what is effective. And it might just be, let's do a week of changing something up and then let's see how it goes. Let's change one other factor. Let's see how it goes. But for you, it seems like you've changed a whole bunch of things within a, a couple of yeah. weeks and miraculously have like noticed improvement and decided just to keep throwing things at it, which... Yeah is a great thing as well because you're getting better, but it's really hard to determine not only which components are the most significant for your recovery, but like what is, what is effective? What isn't effective? What's kind of like a bit of a gray area. What's helped a little, what's helped a lot. It's kind of hard to tell, but let's go through the summary. So you said that you started using the H wave a couple of hours a day. You started using the infrared after workouts to increase blood flow, like the heating pads, you stopped icing altogether. Um, you started doing a little while well, you kept your strength and conditioning work consistent, but then added in a hip extension. So there would be a cable attached to what would be, I guess, your ankle. And if you're facing the, the weights, you would keep that leg straight, but extended backwards and then twist the foot a little bit and control the way back in. Um, right. And you also mentioned in your email as well, that you stopped stretching. Is that right?
1: Yeah, that, you know, you know, some of this is like a revelation. You know, some of this stuff is like, why are you doing things that are irritating your condition? There's a common sense here that sometimes you fall victim into, well, everybody ices, I should be icing. Well, stretching is good. Everybody stretches, I should be stretching. And, and, and it's like, I know better, but you fall victim into traditional treatment patterns to where like a light switch turned on. It's like, well, no, why am I stretching if that makes it hurt? um, you know, tendons aren't, don't move and stretch, you know, the muscles, you know, certainly have a little bit of flexibility there. So if I'm trying to do a stretch, my tendon is getting pulled on and it's irritating the heck out of it. So I stopped static stretching and really focus more on dynamic movements where, you, you know, you get a stretch response through movement. So rather than do a hamstring static stretch, I would do start with some easy leg swings and then just progress to where they're a little bit a longer range of motion to where you might get a little stretch reflex or, If I'm laying on the floor with my hands behind my knees, I might extend my leg up, but I'm doing a movement while I'm stretching. So a little bit more dynamic movements, you know, take the muscle through a range of motion versus holding it there and pulling and cranking. Um, So I do feel like that was a a benefit too. And and to this day, I I don't do, I have certain body parts, I'll do some static stretching, but um, I just don't think to go and stretch and crank on tissue. That's not healthy. I just, that's just not the right thing to do.
0: Yeah. I think if anyone's listened to a few of my blogs around proximal hamstring, or there's a couple of podcast episodes there as well. I don't really recommend static stretching. I think it is like a innate human behavior to want to stretch something that's sore. I think it's like, just like yeah. getting a massage as well. People like pain while they're getting massaged some people really like that deep tissue sort of thing because it looks like it feels like it's doing something and it feels like you're paying attention to that area and those who have proximal hamstring issues and they stretch and they feel soreness in that area it's like oh i'm getting to that area i'm really trying to focus on that and i'm um stretching it out or um yeah paying attention to it which i don't know it's just like an inherent sort of human Behavior that we like right. to do, and like you say, you yeah. can fall victim to that that sensation of yeah, I just want to get that feeling. Yeah. And they know over a period of time that it's actually causing irritation. Which now the evidence is starting to emerge that static stretching isn't good for hamstring tendons at all. Um, and your most, if you want to do something that is painful, it would be to do under like loading of the right amount. It would be to make sure that there is a little bit of pain during your heavy loading exercises and make sure that it's just not a flare up the next day to know that you've negotiated that dosage quite well. And so I guess your story, even though it's a chronic pain, it's been happening for 10 years plus those conditions still apply. And it seems like you've still responded to those particular recommendations, which is really encouraging to hear. I have a lot of runners that reach out to me on social media and you can see there's Facebook groups of, hundreds, thousands of people that have had this for a very long time. And I just wanted to summarize or finish up this interview with just asking, do you have any, do you have any advice? Do you have any guidance? Do you have any parts of wisdom for those who have been suffering from this condition for several years and are starting to maybe lose hope and giving up on trying different things? Any, anything you want to share?
1: Yeah, you know, it, obviously, it, you know, if the nerve is not involved, you know, because some people have chronic pain where, where the nerve might be involved, but if you feel like it's just related to the tendon, you know, it's hard to say, well, don't give up when, you know, and I'm a good indicator. I didn't give up after all these years, and you know, I still wanted to keep trying things. Um, so I guess I would encourage somebody to, to try different things. Um, you know, the biggest thing is avoid things that irritate. Um, that's huge. Um, try some different things, um, really have a commitment, because sometimes we're a society where we want to try some stuff, but if we don't get immediate results, we kind of give up. So really make a commitment to, you know, take, you know, in hindsight, I, I pro- if, if I had to do this years back, I probably would have taken off, let's say, a three-month period of time from running, um because it's real difficult to heal this condition if you're trying to continually the hamstrings just take a tremendous load when you're running and pounding on the pavement and i'm a outside runner on the roads and you know probably the smart thing to do back in the day is you know what take the time you need to heal because um you know it it just i i I just prolong the situation by continually you know creating more obstacles in the way um so I guess words of wisdom is, you know, don't give up, um, try different things. Um, you know, there's a lot of modalities out there you can do. Um, I do feel you need to load tissue as you, I know you do, Brody. You have to load the tendon, but you got to find a way to load it in a way that you respond, you recover from it, um, which is important, which is again, what I like about H-Wave is you can load it without any soreness at all. So that, that's certainly an option for, for people you know, different EMS devices out there can load tissue without causing harm. I think for me, I think that was one step where I could watch TV for two hours and load the tendon, knowing I'm feeding it the nutrition and oxygen and blood flow that's helpful for healing. In addition to doing some of the other things as far as the strength work. Um, and then after the strength work, also recovering from that better. So, you know, it's hard to, because everybody is different to say, what what works for one person, what works for another, but I do think you can try different things and not give up. You know, it comes up a lot. A lot of times you'll hear, well, PRP doesn't work. And it's like, well, maybe it doesn't, maybe there's not evidence that it works uh, for certain conditions or even maybe even hamstrings, but it doesn't mean it may not work for you. Um, I'm a big believer in, hey, maybe it's the person who did it, didn't know what he or she was doing, you know, I s- seemed to choose a practitioner that was an expert in musculoskeletal ultrasound, and her technique where I felt like it was a benefit to me. Um, so don't eliminate all options. You know that's always is an option. And you talk about there's stem cells, there's other ways to potentially treat conditions, um, but there's a lot of frustration out there. You know I, I'm on some of those sites as well, and and. You know, you you just want (laughs) to, you want to say, don't give up. But then you also realize how it's just such a tough condition because every time you sit down, you're reminded of it. It, It's a, it's a battle. And the other thing I would tell people, if you feel like you're getting better, like for myself, I consider myself still having proximal hamstring tendinopathy. So I'm treating it as a lifetime condition, even though I'm for the most part symptom free. I do everything. The same like I did two years ago. I still sit on the infrared heating pads. I'm still using H wave daily. I'm still doing my strength weight work. I'm still not icing. Um, so for me, if I felt like I stopped any one of those things, and I, I kind of feel like, hey, I'd be high risk for it coming back. So, um, so that's certainly advice is it's because you feel better, don't give up on your treatment.
0: Cool. I might um, just hone in on a few th- few of those takeaways. One being, yes, try everything. Um, try try having like a bit of a structure and a regiment around trying new things. If it sounds gimmicky, if it sounds like there's not a lot of evidence, still try it. Like it, the, it might be that thing that finally turns the corner for you. But the other thing that I would mention is if you are, uh, I'd say follow a structure for a couple of weeks up to a month. And if it's not working, then try something else. And I find that I talk to a lot of runners who have conditions outside of this as well, but they try, I've been doing my strength work and I say, uh, they they say I do my strength work every day, or I've done it consistently three times a week for the last six months. It's not getting better. And then you say, well, what are you doing? And it's all just like maybe bodyweight calf raises or bodyweight bridges or planks or something that's not really addressing the area. And you say, why are you continuing it for six months? If you haven't seen any benefit within um, a couple of weeks, I'd say leave up to a month. And like you were saying, you started your strength work and you were 10% better after two, three weeks. And you decide to continue or decide to tweak a a few things and see if that 20, that 10% turns into 20% turns into 50%. That's a good way to test and tweak. But if you're not seeing any results for several months, there's no, why i would have someone continue doing that if you're not right. toy- testing and tweaking i guess exactly. you agree with that yes
1: <laughs> yeah I, I definitely agree with that and you know what i hadn't pointed out too and as you would agree is you know when you're running and active your hamstrings do so much work and you know you can't underestimate the value of strengthening the glutes your butt muscles your glute muscles because you really want them helping out in some of the work, even walking. I mean, we want your butt muscles helping out in the walk. You don't want your hamstrings doing all the work. So, you know, there's simple things to do, obviously isolated glute work, but anytime you're doing a squat or a a hip extension, you're getting glute work. Uh, Even just simple butt squeezes. That's one thing I do before my runs now is I do some prehab where I, I try to activate my glutes. It could be a few bridges, standing squeezes, just wake those up so when I start running, they're involved right away. So, and that doesn't, even if you're not a runner, I think it's valuable to do those things um, before you go for a walk or you get up from waking up and, you know, you're going to be sitting all day. Well, you know, just wake up those muscles. So.
0: Yeah. A great point. And something that like the research does show and that the experts do elaborate on is definitely, we want to, I build up the tolerance of the hamstring tendon, but we also want to work the global muscles and definitely the proximal stuff. So every, all the muscles around the hips, a lot of research to show that that's extremely effective. Todd, this was, there's been, uh, my mind's blown. I think the, the story that you come up with, how like the, the lists going through all the years, several years and trying different things and, just really combining it into an hour chat has been really insightful hopefully i know it's going to be very encouraging for a lot of runners that do listen to this and um, just to know that there is hope and know that there is other methods that um, like i said have turned a real corner for you and to get to the level of success you are now and still doing your still being active with your recovery still being like preemptive and working on prevention and all this sort of thing it's It's an amazing story and it's covered a lot of key points around chronic proximal hamstring tendinopathy and a lot of runners are going to get a lot of value out of this. So thanks for coming on and sharing your story.
1: Hey, my pleasure. I loved it, Brody. Thanks.
0: Thanks once again for listening and taking control of your rehab. If you are a runner and love learning through the podcast format, then go ahead and check out the Run Smarter podcast hosted by me, I'll include the link along with all the other links mentioned today in the show notes. So open up your device, click on the show description, and all the links will be there waiting for you. Congratulations on paving your way forward towards an empowering, pain-free future. And remember, knowledge is power.